welcome to the huddle. Uh, if you don't know by now, I'm Bob Pangrazy, where we discuss issues related to PE and teaching. Uh, you know that Gopher really makes an effort to connect with all you teachers at all levels. Uh, so when you get a chance, check out the Gopher website at gophersport.com. Uh, it's continually updated and new products and, and new helpful materials are up there on, on a regular basis. While we're at it, um, federal relief funding, as you know, is out there now. Uh, and it's important for you to reach out and try to get your piece of the pie. Your schools have it now. So if you haven't heard anything about it, it's only because no one's telling you. Maybe they want to spend it somewhere else. Um, so you've got to be sure and ask for it. Um, but uh, the Gopher put up a federal funding toolkit, which I think is very helpful. And you can search and find it on the gophersport.com website. And it explains how funds can be used for PE and what you should plan before consulting with your administrator. It has success stories and a sample letter how to share with your administrator requesting funding. So if you don't ask, you won't get. And uh, so be aggressive. It's always good to be aggressive when you're doing it in the name of your students. And now on to our program. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about practical ways to integrate reflection and self-control and caring about others and, and even grit into physical education, um, going when times are tough. If all the issues with COVID have helped create the age of rage and anger, we as teachers have to help students learn to cope and even prosper in these difficult times. I've invited two outstanding guests who do this all the time as a way of life to share how they teach social emotional skills uh, within a successful physical education setting. And I want you to hear that. I didn't say they threw out their PE program to teach social emotional learning. We have to have physical education. It's the only place in school where they get activity and you need to be there with that. But you can teach within that setting. So, with further ado, you see these two good-looking faces in front of you. Please welcome Chris Nichols and Lee Anderson. Give them a smile, gang, you know, so they <laughs> can see that all that warmth in you. Um, Chris is an elementary teacher for the Garland School District in Texas. Uh, he has over 25 years of experience. He's been named Teacher of the Month. He's earned uh, the Award of Excellence from the Garland ISD School Board. Uh, he was honored for his work with special education students, uh, and he was recently selected as the Tapered Elementary Teacher of the Year. He's well known, uh, both within his state and across the country, as a presenter at numerous professional conferences. So welcome, Chris. Thank Lee you, Anderson's the Social Emotional Learning and Outreach Coordinator. That's a long name, I tell you. The longer the name, the more important you are. <laughs> And she's, at, <laughs> she's at Willow Lane Elementary in White Bear Lake. I mean, even the community she lives in is long. Three <laughs> words. So welcome. Uh, in addition to her elementary teaching, coaching, and intervention experiences, Lee has taught at St. Mary's University. She's also co-authored three books dealing with social-emotional learning and physical education. Her texts are filled with a lot of ideas and uh, that you may want to look further in depth on and 
they're available from Human Kinetics at humankinetics.com. And you can purchase them as hard copies or as ebooks. And I think you'd find them of great worth if you want to delve into this a little deeper. So, Lee and Chris, let's weigh in and get you warmed up on what we're talking about. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you know, it seems to me, um, and I'm going to let you speak to it, that teachers have always talked about developing character, making kids better people, etc. And now all of a sudden, we're, we're not talking about character development or, you know, uh, the pillars of character and, and, and all that. We're talking about SEL. What's changed, Chris? That, that's a good question. We were talking earlier about this and I grew up country, so we talked about the old country song. I was country when country wasn't cool. As physical education teachers, we've always done SEL. It, it's always been an integral part of what we've done, and it just became a buzzword and a hot topic. But we were always leading the front at our school and on the SEL front. It, it's just morphed into the situation we're in now. But you know, they'll come to us and say how did you get this to work in your classroom? It's like, this is what we've done as physical education teachers. This is, we were, we were country a long time ago. So we <laughs> knew exactly how to integrate SEL. It might not have been the SEL framework, but we always used it and we always used it in our setting in our classroom to help improve our education of our students. Lee, you know, sometimes I feel bad for teachers uh, when all of a sudden something pops out of our national association or some author comes up with SEL and pops something out there. I've always had the feeling that teachers are working hard to develop social skills throughout their career. So uh, is this a different push? I know you were involved in character development and and, and now you're talking about social uh, emotional development. Uh, give me your take on it, Lee. No, it's it's not a di different push. It's just like Chris said, the terms change. And it always comes down to relationships and connections. And it connects to best practice. You know, 20 years ago, it was probably character education and then community building and cooperative learning. And now it's e SEL. In 10 years, it'll probably na be named something else. And like you said, Bob, when new terms come out, it tends to just, you know, maybe produce a little anxiety. And then when teachers learn what the term is, they realize, hey, I do that. So, no, it hasn't hasn't changed. Yeah, I, I, good comments and good perspective from both of you. And I just say to all you teachers, uh, we make no assumptions that you haven't been doing some of this. We may add some new ideas and there may be some new ways of of doing things but you've always done that and our job has always been you know i've always said we're in the construction business of building better people and i think teachers have worked on that for a long time well lee let's dig in on the on the process you like to use reflection i know to impact student growth talk to me a bit about that will you you know and i think reflection is one of the most valuable teaching and learning tools but but sadly the most underused we're a full speed ahead society. And it's not until we really take the time and reflect. Um, reflection is the glue that binds prior knowledges and past experiences to new learning and desired outcomes. And we know that without connections, learning doesn't is not maximized. I mean, you think of 
college and high school coaches, they spend the day after, after the game looking at game films. They look at what the kids have the opportunity to look at what they did well and build on it or what they didn't do so well and tweak on it. The same thing with physical education and behavior. We need to take the time to reflect on what we're good at and what we need to improve on. Now, Lee, are you talking about teachers reflecting or teachers getting students to reflect? I think it's both. I mean, as teachers, I think the best teachers are the ones that are the most reflective. And at the end of the day, they look at their practice. What went well today? You know, what didn't go so well? But I also think teaching kids how to reflect. And you know what? It has to be taught. Kids don't know how to do it because they're always told what they're doing right and what they need to fix. They're not often asked. They know more than anyone else. So it takes time to teach that skill. Um, so I, I think it's probably one of the most valuable skills teachers can take, teach kids. But then just as importantly, you've got to take the time to do it. Chris, um, I know you're in a Montessori school setting and uh, I, I'm sure that you re use reflection. Uh, is there any way you can uh, tell us a little bit about reflection and, try and tie it to how you use it to solve conflicts in your setting? Yeah, to, this year I changed my whole area of my gym to, to the reflection zone. So I went to Hobby Lobby and got reflective paper, <laughs> put it in the corner of the gym, put stars and all of the cutouts in there. And so if the kid's struggling or something's going on, it's like, hey, go go take this time to reflect and see. And, you know, the activity still might be going on, but that gives me time and it gives them time to go over there and just sit there and reflect on, hey, this is what's happening. Did What can I do to change it? You know, what am I feeling about this? And then, you know, I will go over there and just check on the students and say, hey, what what are you feeling? What, you know, what do we need to work on? And, you know, it's usually just a quick hitter and then they usually want to come right back in the activity, but it gives them a time to go, like she said, and, and go and just reflect on what might've happened during that activity. Chris, what do you tell kids about reflection when they go to that reflection zone? And, and what kind of guidance do you give them? If, if, if indeed, as Lee says, it has to be learned, what, what kind of guidance do you give them to when they go there and reflect? Being the Montessori school, I mean, these lessons start at three years old. So they've already developed some of the skills at three years old on how to, you know, control their emotions or, or to, you know, just to give them that time away that allows them to calm their bodies down. And so, you know, if they want to get more in, in depth, maybe they have something going on at home. You know, if that's what they need to tell me, then, you know, I'm there to listen. I'm not there to direct teach them I'm, I'm there to just respond to what their needs are and then if it's something easy you know they're right back in the activity if it's something that needs to be in more depth you know we'll say hey can we talk about this after class or maybe i'll get the counselor involved lee i hear uh i hear chris talking about maintaining the flow of his class how, how are you going to do reflection and maintain the flow of your class lee it's a great question. I think embedding it into daily activity, into daily routines, and that if, if you do it daily, they're going to naturally learn how to do it. It's simple as, all right, end of class, how was teamwork demonstrated with your in, in class today? Take a walk and talk with your buddy. You know, we do cool downs anyway. Let's, let's integrate 
some of that character education, social emotional learning with movement. So with your buddy, walk around the gym a couple times and come up with three ways teamwork was demonstrated in class today. Then as they're lining up, what did you guys come up with? Or compassion or whatever you're working on, but doing it daily, it takes a couple minutes and it's easy to integrate into activity. All right, now I, I, I hope uh, all you participants out there heard what they're saying. It's not we're throwing out the PE lesson. We're not going to turn PE into a talk lesson where activity every, uh, you know, 10 minutes of talking and reflecting take away from 10 minutes of activity, but we're integrating it. You even heard Lee say walk around the gym. You know, there are lots of ways to do it and maintain the primary purpose of physical education will be and should always be activity and movement. And so uh, I think you I think you both gave people some really good uh, advice there. Um, Chris, uh, you know, PE gives kids a lot of opportunity to self-regulate. And I think uh, I, I'd like you to give me a quick uh, definition of self-regulation and maybe tell me a couple examples of how you do that in your activity year. We just give them the skill set, you know, part of the SEL is, you know, is that self-management. So we give them, you know, as simple as rock, paper, scissors, you know, I had a principal a few years ago go, what in the world are these kids doing playing rock, paper, scissors on the playground? I said, they're, it's conflict resolution. I said, they're, they're managing their own behavior and they're regulating their own behavior. And they're like, maybe that's why we're not having any problems on the playground. Yeah, it's just simple things like that. And, you know, another part of the thing of the Montessori program on regulation is that we teach lessons about, you know, conflict resolution. And so I had a substitute in a couple of weeks ago and these two kids got into an argument about something silly. And I just told them, you know, it's time to go to the, the conflict corner. They went over to the corner. There's a yoga mat there. She's like, what are you doing? These kids are going to get in a fight. I said, they're not going to get in a fight. We've taught them how to manage their behavior. They'll go over there, they'll sit down, they'll talk to each other, they'll solve the problem. And when they're done, they're back in the activity. Lee, you wanna, you wanna jump on that one? Yeah, those are great ideas, Chris. And I think, you know, failure is, is where we learn. And, and if we teach students that the gift lies in the struggle, but then teach them the skills to get through the struggle. So there's activities where you, you they, if you can gently guide them through failure, Failure is not a bad thing. It's where we learn. And if you teach them those skills and then provide them the opportunities to fail by giving them the skills beforehand to work through it, they learn how to praise each other. They learn how to encourage each other. They recognize that frustration and anger is a very natural reaction, but it's not an excuse to make a poor choice or do something or say something unkind. So if these skills are taught to students and then students are given opportunities to fail, and then reflect on how they handled that failure, we can teach those impulse control um, skills. We all learn more from the mistakes we made than Absolutely. the things we did, right? Many of us said, oh, if I ever get out of this, I'll never do it again. Yeah. Uh, and you probably never do do it again. You learned your lessons. So those are lessons that stick with you for a long time. And, you know, and I think what we do in education, I've always said that when you get kids young, you, you want them to make those mistakes because they aren't serious. 
uh, mistakes. There are small things we can help them get out of. If you wait till kids are late into high school, now the mistakes they make may be serious. They may be against the law. They may get incarcerated. Uh, they may use drugs. Um, so the time to work with them is, is when they're young so they can learn from those mistakes. Um, and if I could, if you don't mind, Bob, just oh, no. building off that, I just have a story. I remember going into a school and I was going to do some team building. And part of team building, I, the thing I love best about team building is failure. The kids have to learn how to work through failure. And I remember the FIA teacher said to me, oh, you're doing team building? I did that and it's an absolute disaster. The kids just fight and blame. And I thought to myself, that's why we need to do this. Think of their go-to behaviors when frustration and failure set in. But if you give them the school skills and tools beforehand and then let them practice failure in a safe setting, you're giving them some very powerful tools. Yeah, I mean, I mean, please don't try to teach kids to be perfect because it is the enemy of personal initiative. And it's the fastest way I know of killing kids natural desire to want to learn. Uh, there, there's there's no perfection in life and, and uh, we just need to be more tolerant of that and allow them to to learn to make mistakes and, and to learn from their mistakes, I should say. Um, Lee, you know, after uh, COVID, the kids were isolated for a long time and they lost a lot of opportunity to practice interacting with their peers. Um, do we need to teach them to effectively communicate again when they come back to school? Well, you know, you nailed it. The isolation, we learned the impact of isolation and there's trauma was real during uh, a COVID. And um, we need to be responsive to that because anxiety and depression is at an all time high. So absolutely, when they come back, we need to strengthen those connections with, with within the, the, the group. I believe kids should start off class in teams so they immediately belong to a group of, of students. They feel connected right away. They work together as a team. They learn teamwork skills. But, but yes, absolutely, we need to, that needs to be an emphasis, Bob, strengthening those relationships and building connections because we know what happens with isolation. The data is there from the past couple of years. Well, let's, let's talk practically both to both of you now. Um, what are some practical ways we can do some of that in, in again, in, you know, without losing the flow of where we're going? What are some ways we can do that to uh, give them the opportunity to practice their communication? Chris? We start off uh, every Monday, and like I said, we're not trying to take away from the physical education lesson, but it's a quick hitter. It's a community builder. You know, you get to share one thing, what you did for the weekend, whether it's a physical activity. That's what most of my kids share. I went to the park or I played basketball. And there's, you know, the, the kids that say, well, I play video games all day. But it's not judgmental. It's just for them as a share time, as a group. And we just came from fall break. So a lot of the kids got to go on vacation. So, you know, to share, hey, I got to go camping. Oh, I've been camping before. So they have that connection among the other students that at recess time, when it's out of the structure, they could go to those children that they had the same thing in common and talk about camping or talk about what they did over the break. But it's just a, you know, kind of like introductory activity, quick hitter before you get into the lesson. Yeah, Lee? Yeah, we start every class off in teams. The kids have their set teams. 
They immediately report to their teams when they get to class. Each team has a team handshake. They have a team name. They have a team cheer. Those are things that unite them. Um, they warm up as a team. There's lots of fun warm-ups that, that the kids can do as teams that strengthen those connections. But that, that I have found has been very powerful because as I said, they immediately have someone to connect to and a group to belong to. And you know what? And you can't assume they have teamwork skills in doing that. Teamwork skills are taught prior to them being on a team, not taught. Their kids are given the opportunity to learn through Y charts, through reflection, through games. And then once we feel that they have a solid understanding of what teamwork looks like, sounds like, and feels like, then they're put in teams. And that's when, they, as I said, they report to those teams right when they come to class, they do their team cheer and their team handshake. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you've said a couple of times, Lee, that kids don't come to school knowing that. Well, you know, kids live at home alone pretty much or with a sibling. So there, there aren't opportunities to learn there. And now, you know, as paranoid as we are about letting our kids out to play, they don't get, you know, out in the neighborhood and find a bunch of kids to learn to, to work with. So it... it, it, it and you know all skills and all things that that children you want children to learn have to be taught that they just do there is nothing that just magically goes in up there and is is set in there great things happen uh, to kids when great teachers teach and so uh, i i think it's very important that we teach those things i, I might add that those uh, those teams i used to do the same thing with my students when when I was teaching, even my college students, um, I changed them all the time. Three, every three weeks, we had brand new teams so that they mm -hmm. get to be on a different team. Too often, we stay with the same thing. It's your job to mix and match those kids. And one of your goals, just kind of an internal goal, should be that every kid should get to work with every other kid. And it shouldn't be buddies working with buddies and it clicks working with clicks. It, you're, it is your job to mix them. Uh, it, you're, you're a big mixing spoon and it is your job to stir the pot and get them mixed up and get them where you want them. So I feel strongly about that. And sometimes we forget that that's an important part of what you're doing. I, and I'll say the same thing as it goes through the games and the activities we play. Sometimes we don't change teams. Uh, and we let one team keep winning all the time and three or four losing. Uh, what's the value of that? Change those teams all the time. If you have good ways of mixing them with whistle mixer and other activities, boom, you just mix them up and they've got a whole new bunch. Chris? Yeah, and Bob, that off of that, and I'm not going to say the application, but there's applications out there, and you know how the kids are into technology today. I have an application there with all the kids loaded into it, and I'm like, I'm not picking the teams. You press the button, shakes it up. There's your teams for this week. And then, like you said, if in the middle of the game you see that group dominating or something, well, here we go. Somebody else pushed the button. Let's see what teams are created now. The thing that divides classes more than anything are once a few kids feel left out and bullied and other kids, they see other kids as leaders and they get all the favoritism and they win everything. Why would you want to come to school and be in that setting? Why would you want to go to PE? 
it is our job to control the environment. And I've said that a million times. That is our job. You can call it SEL. You can call it character development. You can call it whatever you want to call it. It is to make everybody feel included and apart. We keep playing with those terms. But the practical ideas that you two are throwing out here are ways of mixing kids and getting them to feel part of a group. And just about the time you get to know that group well, it's time to get a new one and learn about new people and what they bring to the table. So good on you guys. I love it. It, it sounds good. Um, Chris, I know you talked about the reflection zone earlier. Lee, did you have any more to add? Did I? I didn't want to cut you off there. You know, the only thing I'll say about the sense of belonging, Bob, is it's a natural human need. And if kids don't find positive places to belong, they will find negative places. That's why gangs are thriving in our country. So you nailed it when you said we have to create the environment where all students feel not only that they belong, but they feel as, like as they feel value and a significant part of the group. That's an excellent perspective. Absolutely. Um, Chris, you talked about the reflection zone, um, and, but you also talk about exit tickets. Tell, tell us a little bit about that whole package, if you would. Yeah, we uh, work with the counselor and we use the same ticket system that she has by her door. So students are allowed to come at any time, but it's just an exit ticket on the door. And it, it's pretty simple. It's, uh, it's two spectrum. So it's you're amazing, good, okay, not so great, terrible, out of control. And then at the bottom, it says, let's talk about it. And so I'm, I always greet the kids when they come in to the gym. I always, I'm at the exit door when they leave. If I see them indicate on that, you know, then that gives me time. I have, I have five minute transition period between class. So I have that time to connect with the student and, you know, not just signal them out, just wait till they walk back towards their class and say, Hey, come here a minute. And let, let, let's talk about what, you know, what was so terrible about today, you know? And like you said, it might have been a bad lesson. You know, I'm not <laughs> perfect. When you when you have uh, a lesson that uh, several kids it affect them that way, then then it wasn't a good lesson. I I did something wrong and I need to change something. But you know, it might be something a lot more in depth that that needs to be taken to the counselor. But you know, a lot of things it's just simple things like, man, I didn't have a good breakfast this morning, or or something minor like that you know well, what can we do can I, can I get you a snack is there is there something we can do just to get your behavior or not so much your behavior but your demeanor where you're you're to that amazing and good and we're never all going to be amazing and good or okay we're all going to have those not so good days but you know you just just monitoring the kids as they leave the classroom is so important yeah i i like that um you know, you said something about when a lesson is is not so good. I, I love your honesty um, because if you're a teacher and you think every lesson you teach is good, you've lost total touch of what you're doing. And you're only as good as your last lesson. You may have a good lesson, but the next one could be just terrible and not go well. And a lot of times it's not you, there's chemistry things, and a lot of times it is you, but man, you talk about reflection. There's a perfect time for you to reflect. Why did that class not go well? What happened? Did I say something? Um, were there some students that are at odds with each other? How will I correct it in the future? 
Um, I always hate the first class of the morning because that one never goes as smooth because <laughs> I learned so much of how to do it better um, by the time you get to the second one. It's why a lot of principals force teachers to change the order of, of how they present uh, activities in the classroom. And, and I had a principal that made me change the order of my PE schedule. So first period didn't always come first and last didn't come last when I was tired and, and worn out. Lee? You know, that stuck out to me in Chris's comment as well, Bob, the fact that he reflects on his lessons and builds on them. It, it speaks to you as a great teacher, Chris. I do believe the best teachers reflect um, and your, your social emotional abilities <laughs> that you're going to make it better. And I hear still hear teachers blaming the kids. They just don't listen. They don't do this. They don't do that. Well, we have to teach them. So rather than blaming the kids, what can we do differently to set them up for success? Fair enough. Um, I see a question that came in from our audience asking about some of the stuff we're talking about here, uh, exit tickets and reflection zones. Um, Lee, can that be done with high school kids? Exit ticket? Oh, absolutely. It's a form uh, of reflection. Reflection zones, all of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, now reflection zone, that I, that's, Chris is more familiar with that. That's not something I'm familiar with, so he'd probably be a better one to speak to that. But exit tickets, absolutely. Reflection is, it, there's no age limit. You know, we're only better if we reflect. And so exit tickets are very valuable tools. Well, it sounds like you just answered it. You, you just said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, go ahead. Yeah, and that, like I said, I, I, I work with three-year-olds up to fifth grade, so, you know, in the high school setting, I know it's definitely di different. I used to be a high school basketball coach, so that's a whole different type of reflection you do with the athlete, so, but, I mean, if, if you don't have it, like I said, that skill set is taught so early, and hopefully, like you said, it continues on, because if it doesn't continue on, like you said, that's when we get into uh, a lot more issues as they get older. You're going to work with social emotional uh, learning um, with older kids. One of the things that happens to kids and happens to adults as well is the older kids get the less they trust adults. And so it's pretty easy when you're an elementary teacher to have pretty good trust and kids will reflect without worrying about, you know, what their peers are thinking and, and that sort of thing. So if you're going to do some of these, sure it'll work you can reflect at the high school and you can and you can do some of these things but you probably have to build a level of trust among your students before you're going to see any success with it they'll see it as kind of a kind of silly and a waste of time early on if they don't trust you now if these are students you've had all the way through the grades they will but um, it's just a normal thing that the older students get the more you have to develop trust with them and sometimes as kids get older, as teachers, we take less time to build relationships with our students than when they're young, and it should be the opposite way around. You know, it's like a, a, a puppy. I've got a new puppy, and that new puppy is jumping on me, wants to see me all the time, you know, all that sort of thing. But the older that puppy will get, the more independent it'll do. It may want to go in a different direction. Same with kids. So, yes, of course, all reflection and, and exit tickets will work with older kids, but it probably will take a little more trust being developed between you and your students. 
Um, almost, uh, you know, a lot more SEL will work when students really believe to the bottom of their hearts that you really do care about how they feel. And that's not a feeling that students often have when they get older, that the teacher really cares. They hear, you know, you do the work, get it correct, get your grades and get out. And, you know, we have to develop that relationship there as well. So, um, Lee, uh, you know, you said something that I thought, um, uh, you, and you said this to me at another time, but you, you let me know that you thought uh, culturally responsive practices and SEL have a lot in common. Talk to us and tell us what you mean. Well, um, you know, I, as I've said before about connections and relationships, I mean, our brains are hardwired for connections. And the foundational piece with culturally responsive teaching is trust and relationships, which is the foundational piece to everything. So if I don't know you, I don't trust you. And so culturally responsive teaching and SEL are so similar because it's all about building that trust and building learning, learner partnerships. Reflection is a big part of culturally responsive teaching too. Teaching, the teacher is not spoon feeding the information, the teacher is providing opportunities for students to learn it through Y charts. You know, again, what does compassion look like, sound like, or feel like? That is, that's facilitating, that's not teaching. So um, there's so many similar components and it all comes down just as everything in best practice does to connections, relationships, and trust. But the, the, I think the biggest thing with culturally responsive difference that is different our culturally responsive teaching that's different is being intentional about bringing students' home worlds into the curriculum. Sometimes students' home worlds, there's a message that, that there's, that's a deficit. We need to start sending a message that their experiences from their home worlds are assets and how can they contribute and make our community stronger. Tell us a little more about what you mean. Give me, give me an example of what you're talking about when you talk about their home assets? Well, for example, uh, you know, a common practice in this, I think a lot of teachers do this in the United States too, but a common practice in Africa is a call and response. That's how they get people's attention, kids' attentions. And sometimes in the United States, we don't, you know, we have like a little chime or thing, which is great too. It's, it's great attention getters, but how can we um, use some of those call and response and attention getters and maybe different activities that 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 students love in their in you know in their home countries. How can we integrate that into the, our own curriculum? Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I see a question here uh, with a listener from Ecuador. Um, and she just wondered, Chris, if you would just say one more time how you use exit tickets, if you could just kind of quickly uh, go over how you use those exit tickets. It's a poster that's uh, hanging on my exit door in the gym. So I prop the door open. The kids are in their, their lines to go back to the classroom. And so I prop the door open, stand by the door. And then when they exit, you know, they just uh, touch it. I've seen people use... Uh, codes before where they like clickers and scan it and stuff but you know I don't I don't have that type of technology so it's, it's just a poster with with those pictures of kids with the, the facial expressions tied to to the that feeling and you know at the bottom of it, it says let's talk about it and so uh, 
that's how it, it's just a simple out the door, uh, just a you know a physical touch, and it you know sometimes they might come up to me themselves and verbally tell me say hey this is just I didn't feel so good today and this is why but they know that uh, I'm open to that on that exit ticket and then for teachers out there in elementary let me tell you the best way to build the relationship with your kids I'm, I'm assigned this duty in the morning but even if I wasn't it'd be I would be out there every morning I do carpool to see the kids in the morning to see their parents to interact with them to start their day off with even though I'm wearing a mask I, hopefully they can see me smiling underneath there to just just to start the day off with a hey how are you doing glad you're here at school let's have a great day so if, if you don't ever if you've never done carpool jump out there sometimes and just make that connection with the parents and the kids at the beginning of the day that's just a teacher going an extra mile and that's hard work uh okay you're tired you work all day you're on your feet all day and you got to go out there and and I think it's a great idea. I, I don't think that PE teachers should be the only one that have to do carpool. I've seen that in schools. So I'm just going to bark about that. All teachers should take that duty. But um, yeah, I think I think it's a great idea. And uh, I, I think it's wonderful that you, you do that. And you're building trust. Uh, we'll go right back to what we were saying. You're building a relationship. And and I want to be clear here, this SEL isn't something that happens just in PE. It's not just for PE, it's for every subject in school. Everything that happens in a school should be about the social emotional development of kids. What is gained if they learn their academic concepts and end up with no social skills? Everything is lost. And, uh, you know, uh, there are some people that think the overemphasis on evaluation, and that's one of the reasons it's starting to be cut back, has taken away from emotional and social development. So um, I, think it's, I think it's great stuff. Um, you know, I love optimism, and, and I think learned optimism is an interesting concept. It's, it's debatable. Some people say, no, it's not learned, but I think it is a, something that can be learned. Uh, Lee, if indeed it can be learned, what are some things we can do in PE to move students in that direction? Well, and you're right, it absolutely can be learned. EQ can be taught. Unlike IQ, it's a little bit more fixed. We can teach emotional quotient. And one way to teach optimism is through teaching praise. And I know praise can have a negative um, um, impact too, because we can condition kids to just want go for that praise. So I teach my students specific praise they get a hand i have it right here they have um they get a list of positive um adjectives and so we take one student um a week and the rest of the class goes around and they practice praising that student bob i think you are friendly because you always have a smile on their face on your face so they have to pick a positive adjective and they have to defend it for with, with a reason so you're, you're reinforcing those positive character traits as well. Um, Chris, I think you are a great teacher, you're incredibly smart because you know how to reflect. So the whole class practices praise with one student and that's at the end of class, maybe five people do it quickly, um, but they're practicing. The next week it's a new student. They go around, everybody has the opportunity to praise that student. It's hard for them right away because they're not used to it, 
but I'll never forget teaching one year and it was January. School started in September and it was January and I assigned a praiser and encourager for every activity. And I remember I was assigning a praiser and encourager and a student said to me, Mrs. Anderson, why do you even assign it anymore? We all just do it anyway. That's because it's habitual. They had the opportunity to practice it. So not only do they practice it, but the kids who hear that from their, their classmates too, you talk about building self-esteem and positive identity. You don't typically hear that from your classmates. So that's one of the more po one of the most positive things I feel has an impact on my students. Also encouragement. We talk about how it feels to fail and, and what happens to our body and our mind when we go through frustration. So what are some encouraging words we can say to each other when you see somebody struggling or when you see someone needs help? We brainstorm those encouraging phrases. They're up on the wall. Kids use them at the end of every day. Okay, what were some of the encouraging phrases we used today, we heard today? So then they're reflecting. So those are two um, ways that, that optimism can be taught. Looking for the good, not always the bad. Absolutely. That's a one, big part of EQ. One of the problems, you know, as teachers is we're we, we spend a lot of time looking for things that aren't done correctly and things that aren't doing well. If we're not careful, we, we start focusing more and more that comes out of our mouth is negative rather than positive. And you all know, you've all heard the four to one positive to negative uh, feedback yep. ratio. And, and so, you know, just just be positive. Say some well, positive. and you think about what, sorry, Bob, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, <laughs> But what a gift you're giving to kids to teach them to find the good in others and then tell them. I mean, think about that. You're, you're, you're teaching some pretty valuable skills and it's not false praise, it's specific praise. So. Well, how about some of you teachers doing that to each other? Mm -hmm. That might be a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, let's, um, Let's let's talk a, a, a bit about, you know, a, a lot of people are saying that COVID has brought on the age of rage. And there certainly is a lot of rage out there you can hear about. And unfortunately, students aren't isolated from their parents' anger and their outbursts at home. We only, you know, uh, we only know that it, it has to happen when people, when parents are angry, then it filters down and it takes care of their, uh, or it filters onto their kids. Um, what what can we do to help kids understand that this this rage and this anger isn't an acceptable? Um, how can we do that in an acceptable way without getting angry ourselves and say it to them in a way that makes sense to them and also help them come to grasp with why their parents behave that way? Chris, I'll let you kick in on that if you want. Yeah, that and that boy, that's the million dollar question, and it that. Is with all the, the COVID and being away and, you know, to see the change in the behavior and, and not, I mean, like you said, in the adults that, and it filters down to the kids to, just to get them to kind of get that social awareness to understand that, hey, there, there's things that are bigger than us and and we can't control them. And, and how we deal with them and how we handle them is what, you know, sets us apart from, uh, other people, you know, are, are we going to be constantly upset about it? Or are we going to be able to manage ourselves and, and, and work on the skills necessary to, to understand that, Hey, yes, this is going on around me, but if I can do these things 
at school and at home to control my little piece of the world, then it's going to make my life a lot better. Yeah, Lee? Yeah, I agree. And I, I go back to reflection, asking them, what happens to your body when you feel rage, when you're angry, what's going on? And they'll they'll be able to say, my stomach hurts. This, you know, um, and I think I say this probably ten times a day. Is it okay to get frustrated? Yes. Is it okay to get angry? Yes. Is are those excuses to make poor choices or do or say unkind things? So what could we do differently? What could we do when we feel our body starting to react the way it is? And instead of impulsively saying something, what are some strategies? So helping them recognize what's going on with themselves and then giving them strategies to cope and manage those impulses. Yep, um, it, it's, a, it's a tough one right now for kids. And, and, you know, all of you out there know that you need to, you need to help and, and probably have uh, open ears to when they're tipping you off that times are tough at home. They may need you. You may be their only hope. Uh, of getting through all that. But, you know, it's it's also an extremely hard time to be a teacher right now. And I, I have so much empathy for all you teachers. Um, and I appreciate you so much for what you're doing and, and that you're staying on the job and you're staying in the profession. Um, and we have lost a lot of teachers, but Lord knows we need you. you, you you've heard me say over and over, you are the fabric of our society. Um, but what kinds of things might we say to teachers? You're both looking at the social emotional side. Um, if we think outside of the box for a minute, do, do teachers need more time off or group meetings mm -hmm. for counseling or a way to deal with outbursts or administrators who focus on personal needs or some way of learning to deal with parents who are angry um, because they're not doing well and they want to blame the school system for it. What, what do we do um, in this time? Uh, talk to us about the difficulty of being a teacher. Let's, ju let's just go back and forth on this a little bit. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I can tell you, and I, uh, I think I wrote a blog about this one. The, the two most difficult and frustrating times in my teaching career were my first year of teaching and the first year of COVID. It, it just, it tore me up. I, I didn't know how to handle it. It was frustrating. What I was good at, I was no longer good at. I was thrown into a situation where there's a new learning platform, go. And it wasn't good. It was, uh, it put me in a bad place. And I know you work out as much as I do with your home gym. And, you know, I turned even more to exercise on that. But I also had to have that piece of, of peers to go to and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Are you struggling with the same thing? What, what, what can we do to get through this together? You got some tips that you can help me with because I can only work out so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lee. Um, let's let's hear from your side, and maybe we'll bounce back to Chris in a minute. Yeah, I, I think again, it has everything to do with connections. I mean, I. No matter how good you are, you can always be better. And when I find somebody that I look up to or who makes me better, I ask them to be my mentor. And when I'm struggling, I go to them and I talk to them. And I think that's one of the best ways to kind of just um, decompress is I go on walk and talks with my mentor every week. And the purpose of that is she decompresses to me and lets me know her struggles of the week and I decompress to her. 
having that to look forward to makes makes all the difference in the world and I feel so much better after. So it's like like Chris said too, talking to your colleagues, finding out, you know, finding mentors, finding others who are struggles and struggling and working through it. Yeah, I I mean you have to talk. Um you you have to share, you have to get with others. Um, you know, and, and if there's something that your building needs, you know, they want to, they want someone to come in and talk about how to handle angry parents or whatever, then you, you need to help see that that kind of stuff gets done as well, because you all need support. And just as nobody knows everything, nobody's strong all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. So let's get over that. You can't be strong all the time. I also like something, Chris, that you talked about control. We, we really don't have much control over anything other than ourselves. And we don't even have control over that. We make all kinds of mistakes. We do all kinds of dumb things. We, we make mistakes in judgment, et cetera. We have to be a little more forgiving and a little more understanding. There's very little compassion uh, among people right now. And it's a time when uh, you know, when times are tough, we need to be there to help someone. So don't think you can go it alone. I don't know when it's as strong as it is that you can necessarily go it alone. Talk to somebody. I like your idea of a mentor, Lee. Chris, you want to jump in? Yeah, it's just like you said, you know, whether it's in the physical education community or if it's somebody on your campus, you 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 got to have somebody to share what your struggles are right now. And, and you know, uh, first year teacher last year uh, during COVID and came to me and said, I told him flat out, I said, I am so impressed with you. I said, if this would have been my first year teaching, I don't think I would have made it. Mm -hmm. I said, but what you did to be a first year physical education teacher during what you had to endure, I said, man, kudos to you because you are a rock star. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's power and vulnerability. And I, I often think that the best teachers allow themselves to be vulnerable and recognize that they need help. And um, it's it's people that are struggling that seek out that that help, that there's so much power in that. So, so be vulnerable. I like the idea of being vulnerable. You just have to know who to be vulnerable to. Right. Okay. Um, so think about where you're talking about your vulnerable uh, walking into the principal saying, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I, it's, it's just all over my head and everything else. Probably not a good choice. Go in and see Chris. And Chris will say, you know, Chris will say to you, look, hey, man, I was there in year one. I know what it's like or COVID got me down. I, I get it. Talk, talk to a peer. Talk to someone like that. Just you know, vulnerability is wonderful to someone probably that's on your level most of the time. Um, and I, I think that will be good. Um, anything else for the, the good of the cause here? Um, Chris, I'm going to let you have a closing thought here. And then, Lee, I'm going to give you a closing thought. About anything like said, you want to talk about. Yeah, just like when I started with, like, like I said, we're, we were country when country wasn't cool. Just <laughs> keep doing what we're doing. We we are SEL as physical education teachers, and we are we develop the SEL. We we are out there 
leading the way on that. And if you need more resources, check out, um, Gopher has Health Move Minds and they have a thing called Mindful Minute and lots of SEL lessons that you can incorporate in your current lessons along with your dynamic PE. So just keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Maintain the, maintain the course. Go ahead, Lee. Yeah, and I think the folks that are here are already ahead of the game because this is so important and it's not going to go away. It's only going to increase in significance. And as I said before, the term will likely change, but it's just little, little things that, that you can incorporate that, that make all the difference in the world. It's not rocket science. And you modeling, being your best self, making mistakes, um, enthusiasm, that, that's a big piece of all of this. You all know I've done hundreds and hundreds of workshops um, with teachers and every once in a while, uh, not every once in a while, quite commonly, I hear teachers say, well, we can't do that here. That, that, I, I can't teach my lesson, do SEL. I'm here to just teach PE. I'm not here to do all those other things. You heard two people give you great advice on how to maintain your PE program. If it's taking away from the flow of your PE program to do the kinds of things we talked about today, then you don't have a very strong PE program and, and you've got problems maintaining any kind of flow because it, it can be done. We never ask, none of these things should be ever in lieu of the physical education program, but they should be a way in which you weave them and integrate them and make them part of everything you do and lots of you teachers out there, I know are already doing a lot of this stuff. That's why you're here because you want you, you care about this and you wanted to hear more and see what others had to say. So keep doing what you're doing, keep caring, keep caring deeply. Um, you have a lot to offer your students. Um, create and generate trust in your students. They need you right now more than they ever have. COVID has caused a lot more problems than I ever anticipated, and I'm sure most of us ever anticipated. So we need to be stronger and more willing to get to know our students and look for the little cues that someone's not quite with it or off kilter or angry or fighting because they're unhappy at home, whatever. So. Do the search and rescue I often talk about. Search out for kids in need of help and then rescue them. We spend millions and billions of dollars to find uh, you know, an Amber Alert person. Somebody gets lost in the woods, we spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars searching for that person. Well, what about when a kid is lost? Let's, let's search them out and rescue them. So, Lee and Chris, uh, wonderful guests, uh, enjoyed the topic and chatting with you immensely. Um, thanks for what you're doing. And I know there are a lot of teachers that will do, be doing very much the same thing you're doing. I uh, hope to see you all uh, again in the future. Thanks for signing in everybody. Go out and teach and continue to change kids for the better. Thank you for everything you do and thanks for being teachers. Bye-bye.